Hi, I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm Jason Marcos. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. Singer, actress, and songwriter Christina Milian achieved early success with top 20 chart placements for a collaboration with Ja Rule and a songwriting credit for Jennifer Lopez. But after unforeseen delays and the ultimate cancellation of the release of her debut album, she struggled to regain her footing in the years that followed, while her peers began rising stardom around her. Wow. I hope that that intro was apt. I think it is, because I... Okay. Yeah, I think it is. I was looking into Christina Milian this week. I stan. Do you stan? No. I do not. No, I do stand. not. No. It's funny, because last week, you know, you were talking <clears throat> about Maya. Mm-hmm. And I was reading through old interviews with Christina Milian and this interviewer had said like, oh, like, you know, who would you like to collaborate with? Like, and the interviewer before Christina Milian could answer suggested Maya and she's like, oh, you and Maya have really similar voices. (laughs) And I I kind of, you know, was like, what would, what would Jason think about this? Well, because look, I mean, like, like I said, I, I prefer her later output. And even I will say when we get into it. I listened to Christina Milian's uh, 2015. It sounded like she had like an EP. Her EP. And some yeah. stuff with um, Lil Wayne. From her and young money years. I will say that when the closer it gets to present time and the production techniques are more like what we're listening to now, mm-hmm. the the more receptive I am. Like I liked some of the songs on there. Okay. I like the way they treat her voice because I think that's the same thing with Maya. Like I didn't really like Maya in the beginning. Um, I mean, she had some good songs, but like her voice was kind of grating to me for a long time (laughs) (laughs) until they could add like 4 million Mayas to it. And you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. Like I like this. (laughs) I like her sensibility. I like who she is, but I just never really connected with her music. Maybe you get, they get to be a little more sultry. Yeah. And less, less tinny. Yeah. I feel like when pop music was really big, the vocals were very different. And then everyone tried to do stuff that was a little, little more sultry. I think you hear it like even with like Ashanti, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Some of her newer stuff is a little, you know, it's not as to your point, uh, to your, to use your term, uh, grading as it used to be. <laughs> So in the intro, I I was describing how like, I feel like Christina Milian has largely like failed to launch herself properly, mm. like throughout her career. Like she never really took off in the way that maybe it seems like she should have. But my impression that I've gotten her kind of doing research for this is that she has just such unbridled optimism Mm. that it's hard to tell that she's faced all these setbacks and that nothing in her career has necessarily ever gone to plan. Like she really, she really comes at things with a aggressively happy and optimistic stance. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, which is good. I mean, yeah, you know, good for her. Uh, I hope that, I hope that that's truly how she feels about things. <laughs> Cause the number of setbacks that she's, she's encountered, you know, I feel like, in that time, we've seen a lot of acts completely disappear. Yeah. Like, they don't even try anymore. Like Nivea. They're, oh, this... Also, in doing research for this, there's a lot of weird overlaps with other things we've talked about or just weird connections. Like, Christina Milian intersects with a lot of people. hmm Like, did you mention Nivea because of her connection to Christina Milian? I think because they have... They or have because a, she actually is, like, a, a person that kind of fell off the map. I mean, <clears throat> I would say both. 
Because because okay. didn't because she is connected to her in my mind, although I can't remember why. Okay, Nivia was married to the Dream. Ah, uh, oh, I think Nivia has kids with the Dream. Christina Milian married the Dream after the Dream was no longer with Nivia. Mm-hmm. Christina Milian has a kid with the Dream. Nivia was dating Lil Wayne. Oh no, I think Nivia might have a kid with Lil Wayne. And then after Christina Milian broke up with the dream, she had, oh no, she dated Lil Wayne after Nivea. So like mm. the social media management of uh, Christina Milian's Wikipedia page is pretty spotty mm. because her Wikipedia page says that she has a child with Lil Wayne, which uh, I cannot confirm. Was like, that's not true. No, that's yeah. not true. She oh. has two kids. One was with the dream and one is with uh, her current her current partner and Pecora. Did you flag it? So everything that I was researching <laughs> this week, I was like trying to... F- I was trying to find like the original source because I was like, oh my God, so many of these citations are like dead links, you know, they're not even on like archive.org. I love getting this gossip stuff out of the way first too, because then I don't have to try and um, inject it into the story that I'm telling. (laughs) Because Lil Wayne's first wife, Toya, Mm -hmm. from Tiny and Toya, Mm. I don't think she's ever really liked Christina Milian, but like she was okay with Nivea, you know, because they have this really complicated network of family things happening mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right because basically like nivia toya the dream lil wayne and then like s- there's several other women who have mothered children by okay. the dream and lil wayne they talk about like co-parenting mm. Right. And making sure that like, it's all about the kids. It's making sure that they have relationships with their siblings. And then like, how do you work that out between the mother's co-parents, yeah. your co-parents, and then like all the daisy chained co-parents that are also related to your child at that point, you know, it sounds complicated, but uh, again, that seems very to, to see, to see Toya talking about it in terms of her relationship with Lil Wayne, yeah, her kid with Lil Wayne and then her kid's half siblings Uh toya comes at it with a very kind of like you know realistic it's not it's not a great it's not the greatest thing but we do it kind of attitude christina milian again in her relentless optimism because she has her daughter with the dream and then the dream has a new wife with two other kids christina milian cannot stop talking about what a good relationship she has with the dream i see what how much she loves the dream's new wife Oh. I'll, I'll, you know, and so there's there's an aspect of that that like when I'm looking at Christina Milian's career, when I'm looking at her life, I'm like, wow, this sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but not because she seems to be so grateful yeah. for it all. So cool. cool. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, it just in terms of like when I'm when I'm thinking about her, I'm kind of like, well, to me, she's always a hit. She's always been a hit. I stand well. No, no, that's not true. I stand pop Christina Milian. There's a there's a big divide that will come into this story that like there is a struggle for Christina Milian to figure out whether she is a pop artist or an R and B artist. Mm. And I yeah, I I can see that, and that's why. And I... she kind of goes back and forth between those two things. Yeah, and I think that the act of going back and forth harms her image more than either one or the other ever would have you know like if she had stuck to the pop game well no but music was changing but you know it's that switcheroo that you don't quite know who she is what the music is as it relates to her personality Mm -hmm. and 
behind the scenes also like what was going on that prevented almost all of her music from ever coming out she's been she's been trying to release an album for like 10 years and it's she just never like happened. stop okay well, i guess we'll, we'll get into it we'll get into it yeah okay. um is there anything else we need to talk about i mean i know we normally do some kind of intro it's i don't know are we acknowledging time it's thanksgiving yeah it's the week we acknowledge the election it's it's thanksgiving weekend <laughs> we're recording this won't post till like christmas possibly after christmas at this rate so happy thanksgiving but happy also holidays, merry christmas people. perhaps happy new year because we exist outside of space and time we do even though even as we acknowledge it yeah because we're we watch it flow by like a river um what are we doing oh you know what hey oh wait that's you what's me oh sorry one second (laughs) i lost the thing is there anything you want to tell us jason (sighs) no my cats are getting along maybe i don't know you don't want to tell us about our email address and website oh sorry I talked, you gave me a chance to talk and I talked about my cats and not like a real thing. Um, As per usual. uh, I was going to just read Benchin website. (laughs) You know, as usual, everything that we talk about here, everything we mention will be available on our website at flopredeemer.com. You can also email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com with any suggestions, feedback, tips, recipes, just anything you want. Uh, to it. SOS, you know. Um, oh, SOS, that's a good, um, that's a good Christina Milian segue. Oh God, here we go. But we'll touch upon that when we get back. Let's go to break. My goodness. My goodness, do I? Oh my goodness! I need to have the Wikipedia page yeah. handy just so I can scan it, just in case I hit the end of my outline and don't know where to go next. <coughs> Does that mean we? that we are back? We're back. We are back. We're back. We're back, Jason. Today, I want to talk to you about Christina Milian, and we've established that I I solidly stand Christina Milian. You solidly unstand, unstand. I just, you know, she Sub- exists. Substan. She exists. Yeah. I mean, oh, oh, during the break, we established that you maybe know one song by Christina Milian. No, I a, know at least three. A- okay. I knew AM to PM. I know Say I, and I know Dip It Low. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I know yeah. all of the main ones, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I So when I wanted to talk about Christina Milian, I kind of wanted to originally talk about her... Um, her 2008, 2009, I think, single, Us Against the World. Do you remember that song? No. After her whole kerfuffle with her record label on her first three albums, she signed a deal with MySpace Records. Wow. Remember MySpace had a record label that was like in partnership with Interscope. So like it was like a, a normal record label, but it was also a streaming record label. And she had a deal with MySpace Records. She released a single called Us Against the World. Who who else had a had a label like that? Or shared were on the label? Do you know? Like, was I it have no else? idea. Because okay. this one single got released, an album never materialized, and then MySpace disappeared. So Yeah, that's I was gonna say, like, you know, if we're if we're gonna talk about uh poor 
decisions. Yeah. I mean, this was the song that I was originally going to talk about, but most of the evidence of this song's existence has disappeared. Like you can look it up on YouTube and the a rip of the video is on YouTube. It's still a great song, but it's one of those things that, and I think this is one of the things that I feel about Christina, Christina Milian generally is that she has a hard time defining who she is as an artist. And I have a hard time listening to any of her songs without thinking that like, oh, this is an attempt to sound like this, or this is an attempt attempt to sound like this. I don't know if this is truly the best use of her voice or if this is how she wants to use her voice. Because Us Against the World, I could easily imagine like Alicia Keys singing that song. I, you know, and we've talked about other artists from this time period and you wonder how much of it is just, you know, a function of musical taste at the time and like, you know, mm-hmm. having to fit your voice into these things where it's like, you know, it was that weird pop R&B. Yeah. And I know? think that that's something that we'll touch upon talking about, especially what happens to Christina Milian in the beginning of her career. So okay. Us Against the World is a song that I, I've always really liked. It doesn't exist anymore. So I don't really want to get too deep into talking about it. So instead, today I want to try and talk a little bit about the song When You Look At Me, which is the second single from her debut album, which actually was never released in the United States. I did listen to this song this morning. Okay. Because Good. Celine Dion has a song called When You Look At Me. And I was like, <laughs> is it a ballad? And I listened, I was like, it is not a ballad. It is not a ballad. It is not a ballad. <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Okay. So in the beginning. Christina Milian, she is uh, born in New Jersey, but she lives in Maryland. She grows up in Maryland. When she's 13, her parents divorce, and she's been pursuing the idea of wanting to become an actress. And so at that point, she and her mother and her sisters, they up and they move to Los Angeles so that Christina Milian can pursue her acting career. There are reports or accounts from her in interviews that around this time, she was actually offered a part in the new Mickey Mouse Club. Huh. So that would have put her... What year? That would have been like 92 for her when she was 11. So I don't know. I don't know the exact timeline. There's, there's a, But there's a bunch of key things that happen. Like originally mm. she wanted to be an actress. She turns down a role to be in the new Mickey Mouse Club, according to her, because she didn't want to uproot her family and move to Florida. After they'd already moved to, to LA. To do that. But, you know, obviously that means that she missed out on the opportunity to be alongside Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, um, musical group The Party we've discussed <laughs> she um, missed out on the party she was she she missed out on the party and said she's living in la she's 13 years old she talks about how she had always had an interest in singing and as well as acting like she'd done like musical theater and stuff like that but one of the reasons that she had pursued acting so much more heavily is that it was kind of a mystery to her how you break into the music industry Wait, did I say that correctly? Did I say acting? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I th- yeah. thought I inverted what I was saying. But you wait, know, like wait, the idea she, that... she started with acting because I think the idea of getting into acting was is easier. Like you there's open calls and you go for auditions mm-hmm. and whatnot. But it's like to get it to get a record deal, it's like how do you meet how do you do that? Yeah. Record executives, how do you meet record producers? But perhaps by coincidence. Perhaps because everyone who comes to LA moves to like the same apartment building in Studio City. 
who's trying to pursue a career in entertainment right like there's like a building out there that like people come and they move into for pilot season or whatever season and it's like they have zach efron corbin blue famously lived there during their uh it was like a disney channel thing rachel crow yeah oh man (laughs) i believe lived in one of those buildings um but for whatever reason, uh, coincidentally, one of her neighbors, when she's 13 years old in her apartment building, is an up-and-coming producer named Rodney Darkchild Jerkins. Huh. Wait. He was there. Hmm. This would be 94. Yeah. 93, 94. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And so this is like maybe a little bit before Rodney Jerkins is becomes a household name working with like Brandy. I forget. Like I know we talked about Darkchild in the brandy episode a little bit yeah i mean he helped he, he i think he came lot. up in he came up in a few other episodes i feel like because he's 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 prolific yeah. he's prolific he's throughout everywhere. the late 90s and 2000s and christina million was his neighbor at age 13 and on a recommendation from some friends he listens to her sing and he kind of takes her under his wing and he she credits him with kind of showing her the ropes of like songwriting uh record production being in the studio meeting people you know Mm -hmm. and that is kind of where maybe her music career starts to become more of a possibility for her you know it's less of a mystery at that point so fast forward a little bit she starts writing her own demos around the age of 17 so that would be like 1998 yeah yeah and so maya maya has already come out with her album okay so yes christina uh christina million is a little bit behind the curve throughout this whole story no i'm just i'm just trying to think of like place it in the who we've talked about and yeah so she's so she starts writing her own demos she says in part because she has a hard time getting demos from other producers like she'll either do demos with producers and then they won't give them to her or they won't like they won't write lyrics that are appropriate for her Mm. right like she just has a a problem finding that connection to anyone that she's trying to make demos with so she decides to do it herself and i think that this is kind of a pattern with her is the idea that like she can't trust in other people to do the things for her that are right for her Mm. so she tries to just do them herself and i think that's probably you know in the long run one of those things that can drastically limit your output and what you can do Mm-hmm. So she starts writing her own demos and then things start to pick up for her. In 1998, she actually scores a role on the Disney Channel show Movie Surfers. I don't know what that entailed. Maybe it filmed in Los Angeles because mm-hmm. the Movie Surfers show was actually the premise of it was that this group of kids sat around on the internet oh. and clicked around to watch movie premieres of Disney movies. And then it would cut to footage of one of them being on the red carpet at the movie premiere for like Tarzan or The Parent Trap interviewing the stars of the film. It's like a really interesting concept that this is happening in 1998. Yeah. Because things like this were not happening on the internet in 1998. No, we were still getting those AOL free thousand hours or whatever. Yeah, it was still taking fully five minutes to download a JPEG in 1998. (laughs) (laughs) The endless like low scroll. You just get like one row of pixels at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's so she gets that role. She does that from 1998 to 2000. So she is following in the footsteps of these kids that are starting out as Disney personalities. Yeah. Shortly after that, in 2000s, she is brought in to record the vocal hook on the song "Between You Between You and Me" with Ja Rule. 
And this song comes out in the year 2000 and it peaks at number 11 on the Billboard 100. And just to like bring you back in time. So the other charting songs by kind of similar artists of the time, Most Girls by Pink, uh, Gotta Tell You by Samantha Mumbo. Remember her? Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Come On Over Baby, All I Want Is You by Christina yeah. Aguilera and Case of the X by Maya. Those were all charting the mm. week that Between Me and You, uh, Jaw Rule featuring Christina Milian peaked at number 11. Okay. The success of Between Me and You led to her scoring a record deal with Def Soul Records, which is the R&B division of Island Def Jam at that point. Okay. And it's at this point that I noted, like, there's, like, an interesting parallel between Christina Milian and Ashanti at this point in time. And we talked about Ashanti earlier. Ashanti has a similar trajectory of, one, having a strong interest in songwriting, Mm -hmm. and then, two getting onto a featured vocal on a jaw rule track like singing the and hooks. then kind of through jaw rule and irv Gotti scoring a deal with murder inc well ashanti was with murder inc and then christina million went to jeff def jam mm-hmm. but at this point in time if you'll recall from the ashanti story island def jam was the distributing label for murder inc so they were all interrelated companies just yeah, with like yeah, yeah, yeah. slightly different rosters of mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. you know in another weird parallel like both Ashanti and Christina Milian also tasked with writing songs for Jennifer Lopez. Hmm. Potentially also singing um, very loud background vocals for Jennifer mm. Lopez. Mm. Very loud. Possib- possibly background vocals that were louder than Jennifer Lopez's voice <laughs> itself. Possibly. I was thinking about that while listening to the, this album this morning. I was like, hmm. You're like, is this Jennifer Lopez? <laughs> <laughs> So it's interesting, though, in the parallel between Christina Milian and Ashanti is that when they start to build up Ashanti, she's working very closely with Irv Gotti, Murder, Inc. Uh, her album is produced by Seven Aurelius, right? And she comes out with the sound that is like foolish and happy and all those kind of, you know, solidly R&B songs that they were they were giving to Ashanti or that Ashanti was making for herself at the time. Yeah. Christina Milian, by contrast, is sent to Sweden to work on her album. Makes sense. I mean, and this is this is yeah. where things get a little bit weird. Is that you know they both have similar origin stories: uh-huh. Jaw Rule, Jennifer Lopez, Irv Gotti, Ashanti works with hip hop producers. Christina Milian goes to Sweden. She actually works with Bloodshy and Avant, who would later get a Grammy for the song "Toxic" with Britney Spears. I see. But I didn't know this that like actually. This album that they do with Christina Milian in 2001, 2002 is like their first production credit. And the song. This this, this album? Yeah, the song AM to PM that Uh um, Christina Milian debuts as her debut single. Like that's one of Bloodshine and Avant's first songs that they they work on. Huh. Like all of their other songs that you know, or all the other artists that they worked with after that, they worked with like um, Jordan Sparks, Kylie Minogue, like. All those things came after after this. After after Christina Milian put them on the map. Put them on the map. She takes the bullet, goes to Sweden, creates a bubblegum pop album in the year 2001. Uh-huh. Which was the time to do it. Yeah. Um, while she's working with Bloodshed and Avant on um, her debut album, one of her songs that she writes for herself called Play, she decides not to release it for herself. She gives that song to Jennifer Lopez. 
And when Jennifer Lopez records and releases that song, it peaks at number 18. I love that song. Yeah. That I mean, song, Christina Milian wrote that at the same time that she wrote AM to PM. But since AM to PM was going to be the lead single, she felt like play was too close to it tonally. And so she discarded it. Tommy Mottola heard it, was like, give this to Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez records it to moderate success. It was, you know, it wasn't one of JLo's like top hits, but it no, definitely I mean, like charted and it did well. It did better than AM to PM did. Well, and I love that um, song. I love the video. They get on a supersonic jet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a Concorde. <laughs> She's got that uh, that big hair. The big hair. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you? Well, I mean, I guess we can talk about it. Do you think that was a good choice to give that song away? I think that she would have netted out the same. Yeah, probably because she wasn't. She didn't have like J Lo had a full. Like we have to remember, it's not like if Christina Milian did it, it would have done the same for her. Yeah, it would have had the same shine. Hold on. Holding. There's a cat behind me trying to eat a box. Hey, stop it. Stop it. She's trying to eat the tape. Um, the, oh my God, hold on. <laughs> it's just going to be all in my audio. Yeah, see, stop it. I told you. Um, uh, you know, she'd, she'd been at the Grammys. She had the green dress. She had, you know, the you know, uh, all the other songs. Wait yeah. for tonight, all of that. So... There's a there's a star power to Jennifer Lopez. Yes. There's a bigness to her. Yes. Even when you look at Jennifer Lopez's music videos, so you look at the music video for Play mm-hmm. versus the music video for um AM to PM. PM. There's just something big about Jennifer yeah. Lopez. Yeah. She fills space with herself. Yeah, she's not she's not uh what, aren't they like in a car park or something like in AM to PM? Like it's it's a very uh homegrown <laughs> it's it's a very petite Christina Milian has yeah. a very petite presence. I'm sure in real life. She's a yeah. petite she's a petite woman and I th- I feel like she has a petite presence to her. So yeah, I don't I don't know that she would have done any better if she had kept play for herself. What I will say though is that if she if she hadn't been so concerned with all of her songs being so poppy, maybe her album would have just been one thing cuz this is something that comes up with her and it's the idea that you know, she has the early success with Ja Rule, but she also has this background as a Disney Channel personality. She gets signed to Deaf Soul, which is the R&B branch of the Island Deaf Jam Murder, Inc. family, right? Yeah. And so... It's a little schizophrenic. At that point, when you're trying to figure out, like, okay, which Christina Milian do we give the public? Do we give the Between Me and You R&B hip-hop Christina Milian or do we give people the Disney Channel Christina Milian and the answer seems to have been like we'll just mix them up a little bit and give everyone a little bit of everything so that you don't maybe know who she is so she's working on her debut and after getting signed to Deaf Soul in the summer of 2001 she's opening for NSYNC on their Pop Odyssey tour Hmm. so she's building up momentum building up momentum her first single, AM to PM, is released in July of 2001, and it peaks at number 27 on the Billboard Hot 100 in October. By this point, other charting songs from that week include I'm Real by Jennifer Lopez, Family Affair by Mary J. Blige, Hit 'em Up Style Oops by Blue Cantrell, oh, wow. Let Me Blow Your Mind by Eve featuring Gwen Stefani, Rock the Boat by Aaliyah, and Someone to Call My Lover by Janet Jackson. Yeah. 
And I bring up these songs as time is going on, I think to illustrate kind of the changing landscape of music at this point and where Christi- where where you really think Christina Milian fits in amongst these artists, you know. But you know, this this song is doing well. I remember hearing this song a lot. I I was try- so when we when we when you first said we were doing Christina Milian, I, I knew AM to PM, um, and I knew Dip It Low. In my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember dancing to this song. But then when I think about the timeline, I'm like, no, I wouldn't have been going out at the time. I don't know how I heard it. I feel I like remember they did hear it, it when we went out, though. I feel like it uh, sustained it was just like itself. Old, okay, because I was, uh, yeah, maybe. Because she yeah, very I quickly guess... became a, like, whatever happened to her? Like, where did her album go, right? And the answer is it never came out. That's mm. the spoiler alert. Her album yeah. never came out. But, you know, AM to PM, it does moderately well, but she's gearing up for a September release for this debut album. And then we're in the year 2001, September 11th happens. And, you know, another parallel here that um, when we talked about Glitter, Mariah Carey, that album was also supposed to come out two weeks after September 11th. And... They didn't. They didn't change Mariah Carey's release date, did they? Or did they? They pushed it back by like. They pushed weeks, it back a little I bit, think. right? Yeah. Um. This one, so with um Christina Milian's debut album, it got delayed from September of two thousand one. They considered pushing it to the end of the year. Christina Milian has said that like strategically, it was a bad idea to try and debut an artist at the end of the year. I think because back then it was like so many, so many people were were um, buying CDs for Christmas that it was hard to get like shelf space or visibility for a yeah, brand new artist. I can see that, right? Like you go to you go to um, Borders, Target. and then they just have like fifty million of the same CD by Celine Dion in the front. I remember the days. <laughs> like literally, I think that when I was a kid, I used to just do that for Christmas. Buy people CDs. Like, yeah, you would just go to the you would just go to the record store, and sometimes around Christmas you would just see the ones the ones you were supposed to buy. Quote yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not the debut album from Christina Milian. Yeah, they were all in the end caps, and it was like yeah. that's you knew where to go. Like especially when an album had come out, you knew where to go. You weren't going to go to like you know where they were alphabetically in the racks. They were all going to be on yeah. The front. yeah curated curated content. Mm-hmm. So. They decided it's a bad idea to push her album from September to December of 2001. So they're like, okay, like let's release this in 2002. In the meantime, Christina Milian is still hustling. She decides take it overseas, take her promo to her overseas. She starts doing heavy promo in Europe and Asia. I remember after Christina Milian was like no longer a big deal, like my coworker from Japan was kind of like, oh, have you heard of this girl named Christina Milian? Like she's she's so popular in Japan and da, da 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 da. And it really was because of this thing that like, because of September 11th, at least in part because of September 11th, there weren't a lot of promotional opportunities for her. So she's hoofing it all over Europe, doing interviews on Nickelodeon UK, MTV UK, and she's seeing a decent level of success doing this. Enough success that in June of 2002, she's able to release a second single off of this debut album that still has not released in the United States. And mm. this is the song, When You Look At Me. So did she, she did release the album in Europe, though, 
right? Like, yes. It, okay, okay. So so it was out in the world, just not here. I think that in Europe and Asia, the album actually came out before September 11th. Huh. Okay. I know that sometimes, like, they would do that. A lot of places do that for Japan because Japan was such, like, a big music-consuming country mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that sometimes Japan would get a release of an album with, like, Japan only bonus tracks and it yeah. would come out like a week before the rest of the world or something like that. But yeah, the, the, this album existed and it was out everywhere except the United States. And so by the summer of 2002, you know, some of the, some of the songs on this track are probably over two years old for her and she's doing the promo for it. They're trying to figure out like, do we still release this album fully almost a year late? Yeah. And ultimately they decide, no, like we're just going to shelve this album. And so unfortunately in the U.S., we never really got to hear this song, When You Look At Me, which is a song that Christina Milian wrote when she was in high school. Or no, she wrote it about being in high school. Okay. And how judgmental other kids can be towards each other. And like basically the message of the song just being like, don't judge a book by its cover. Like that's her basic rundown of what the song is about. It does moderately well throughout Europe. I think if you actually look this song up on Spotify, it's like her number one popular song on Spotify. Which, uh, I did see that. Yeah. It's not the one with the most streams. It's based on Spotify's weird algorithm that bases popularity on a multitude of factors, I'm sure. Because Dip It Low actually has the most streams. But this has like the second most streams of any of her songs. And I think that's impressive for a song that was never actually released in the United States. Yeah. And in, in the same vein as AM to PM, the song, when you look at me, it has, a. it is very poppy. It's a poppy song. It's a Mm -hmm. bubblegum song. Mm -hmm. It's very much in the vein of a Britney Spears or a Christina Aguilera type of song. Well, what I thought was interesting was this and AM to PM, even beyond that, it was a very Euro pop sounding track. Like not it, to me, it didn't even really sound bubblegummy as much as like kind of Brit poppy. Does that make sense? Like, uh, cause there's another track on this album called satisfaction guaranteed. Oh, deep cut. Okay. So I was listening to it. I was like, why do this sound so familiar? So familiar. Even there, there's it's 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 got this like electro sort of thing, and I was like, wait a minute, Craig David. So I look up Craig David, fill me in. Has almost the very similar like melody and and mm. um, underlying sort of thing that came out the year before. But I think that's why. I mean, it's not to, not to say that this is yeah. derivative or anything. I'm just well, I'm just saying that like it's it's like it like what it reminds me of is like import pop. At yeah. the time. Well, right? you know what this is? I'm listening to Satisfaction Guaranteed in my ears mm-hmm. now. When we talked about Sugar Babes, mm. I was talking about the, the UK garage sound. Uh-huh. And it oh, has okay. this like it has this beat in the background and then like the the weird like string lines to it. So yeah, I think that this is like oh yeah, and this is like Craig David. Totally Craig David. Yeah, Because if you listen to it, you're like, I'm like, wait, is this fill me in? And then I went through and it's like it's very, very similar. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think you can credit that all to the fact that she was sent off to Europe to yeah. produce this album. Yeah. Which I didn't know. That makes sense. That That's yeah. why it makes sense. I mean, I me. think that like, you know. I like that song, Satisfaction Guaranteed, I will say. <laughs> the idea 
the idea of like you know Britney Spears going off to Europe to record her albums, or the Backstreet Boys and In Sync, like when they started out, we're all going to see Max Martin or whatnot. By two thousand one, that was a very mainstream idea, and it was potentially past its prime. Mm. Especially when you look at the other charting songs from around that time, yeah. that yeah. I think we're heading back towards more okay. of a heavy distinction between rock music and hip hop music, and that's something that. Christina Milian says affected her decision to not release her debut album in the States and instead just to try and move on because Mm -hmm. she kind of came back from Europe from promoting this first album, seeing that the music around her, the music being made by her peers was different than what had been happening just a few years before. Yeah. Much more, much more hip hop inflected. Yeah. Because just for context, also, the, when, when When You Look At Me came out in the summer of 2002, so like a full nine months after the album was supposed to have originally come out, at that point, the songs that are charting are Foolish by Ashanti, um, I'm Gonna Be Alright by Jennifer Lopez, What's Love by Fat Joe featuring Ashanti, Full Moon by Brandy, Don't Let Me Get Me by Pink, and um, Dilemma by Nelly and Kelly Rowland. Yeah, there's no place for this. (laughs) Yeah, like I think it's interesting because, you know, we've talked about Brandy. We talked about the change of sound that she kind of brought about when she was doing Full Moon. I think it's interesting to look at the rise of Ashanti, what the rise of Ashanti in that single year represented in the landscape of pop music because she was much more of an R&B singer than we had seen in the past few years prior to that. Mm-hmm. especially topping the charts. Like suddenly the idea that an R&B singer would be topping the pop charts without any pandering to pop music in any way. was kind yeah. of unheard of before on Ashanti. And then you have Pink who's doing Don't Let Me Get Me in this year where just a year before Pink's top charting single was Most Girls. Mm-hmm. So in that single year, we also saw the transformation of Pink from R&B pop singer to a rock pop singer. Yeah. Right. Like she had done her whole switcheroo to Linda Perry and, you know, edging out her voice. She had gone into her chrysalis and metamorphosized. She'd metaphor. Yeah. If that was a word. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, so it's at this point in time that Christina Milian begins to note her image is confusing to fans. Mm-hmm. You know, and she says in an interview that she went to her label and she just chewed them out about how they were, how they were messing up, messing her up because they were having her put out these songs. Like when you look at me, it's about like a girl in high school um, trying to deal with the superficial judgment of her peers. And then you're following it up with this song with Ja Rule that's about like, Oh, like, let's get away. Like, let's jet off to Paris. She's like, who is this? Who is this person that I am releasing this album? Right. And, you know, she, she talks about this, this whole landscape of music changing that whatever this music is that she's trying to make as a pop artist, it doesn't exist anymore or it's, Hmm. it's, it's becoming extinct. And so she has to figure out how to tap back into an R and B audience at this point. Hmm. And so of course in the year 2002, she records a theme song to Kim Possible. <laughs> Stellar strategic look, move. Look, she probably had to, to to 
to pay pay a check pay a, you know she needed that check pop music is dying she needs to edge herself up she records the theme song to kim possible the prolific call me beat me theme song to kim possible mm. it's just so weird in so many ways because like um 2002 did you have a beeper did you ever have a beeper i had one in high school that i borrowed from a friend so like that would put you like year 2000 like 90s yeah i graduated in 2000 so okay i think by 2002 i did not have a beeper anymore yeah no i think i got rid of i think i got i got rid of my beeper after my freshman year of college so that would have been 99 i did have a flip phone in 2002 i did a i did a year of overlap where because i had a beeper all through high school (laughs) why just so my mom could get a hold of me or oh, okay. mom my mom could get a hold of me or friends could get a hold of me my parents were like no you know it was this funny thing that like in the, i didn't need it nobody was trying to call me in the 80s it was like only drug dealers and doctors had beepers mm-hmm. but then it became it was this, a status symbol then it was a status symbol and then teens teenagers started having them because actually it's a really convenient way to keep track of your kids i remember this is very controversial in my family because like People were like, could not believe that my mom gave my brother, older brothers, beepers when they were in high school. Well, because it's like, I mean, you know, famously, <laughs> you can't actually communicate back with someone. So, like, you have to, once you get a page, you have to then find a phone and call and find out yeah. what the hell is going on. But yeah, for all the people that don't know how beepers work, <laughs> just, I don't know. It's 25, 25 years ago. <laughs> when we had beepers, you would call a number a thing would pick up and then you would just have to type in a bunch of numbers that would send that series of numbers to a little box that you would keep strapped to the waistband (laughs) of your pants. And so if you were a doctor and you needed to like, you know, report to the operating room, someone would beep you. Or if you were a drug dealer and someone needed to purchase drugs, they would beep you. But also... If you were a high school teenager that just wanted to hang out with your friends until maybe 4.45 on a Wednesday and, you know, you had parents that were perhaps a little bit anxious about your safety or Mm. the status of your living beingness, they gave you a beeper. Okay. So that when you're in the food court, you know, watching the hot dog on a stick people, you know, plunge the lemonade... Your mom doesn't have to think that you're dead because she can beep you and you just go to a payphone and you call and you're like, mom, I'm just at the mall. <laughs> I One time I called my dad collect from Walmart. Like, Oh, uh, I, call, I called collect all to, the time. My dad was like, hang up the phone. He was <laughs> like, hang up the phone. I was like, I just need a ride. <laughs> Got the, 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 the public transportation system in San Francisco when I was in high school was so terrible. It's so funny because it covers the whole city, but in the 90s in San Francisco, I remember the buses, they had this weird policy that like there's a loop, right? For every line that it goes out and then back. Mm -hmm. The problem being that they could only dispatch the first bus on a particular interval. And then every other bus behind it had to wait for that first bus to be dispatched. So even if all of the buses started catching up and were way ahead of schedule at some point, once that first bus stopped, it couldn't go again onto the loop until it was scheduled to do so. And so it ended up being, at some points in the day, you would see 10 or 15 buses pass in the opposite direction 
and there would be no buses traveling in the other direction. So I would be like waiting for a bus to get home and I'd be at the bus stop for like two hours. I'm like, there's no bus coming. And I would call my mom collect and be like, I need a ride. I need a ride. (laughs) Although Davey told me like, I never thought of doing this because I mean, my parents would always accept collect calls, but I guess the trick was that when the operator, um, said to record your name, Oh, you're supposed to really quickly. Yeah. 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 Transmit your message. It'd be like, mom, pick me up at school. I'm at school. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So then your parents could just hang up and not incur charges. Yeah. Anyway, for anyone time traveling back to, um, (laughs) before cell phones, there's our helpful tip about, uh, how to get a ride, how to get a ride. Um, what a beeper is how timely this 2002 Christina Milian song was. She was the beeper of pop music. Yes. She really was. Shortly thereafter, completely irrelevant. Sorry. (laughs) Just beeping away, just vibrating away, and nobody nobody knows what to do with it. So after this, after there's this recognition that this first album is completely shelved, there's little time for regrouping, and... She returns to her first love of acting. Oh. Yeah. This is where she does like uh, Love Don't Cost a Thing. And this is where she meets Nick Cannon. She has a relationship with Nick Cannon for a couple years until he's cheating on her. She reportedly hacks into his phone and is like tracking his text messages from Romania, which is that that's like some like, you know, Johnny Lee Miller, uh, Angelina Jolie level stuff. Yeah. But all the while she's working towards um, releasing her second global album, but still trying to get a debut in the United States. And this is where we get into Dip It Low. We get into the album It's About Time, Dip It Low, which comes out in 2004. How would you describe Dip It Low? Um, Sultry. Sultry. I like the, vi- I think I think it was popular because of the video. The video. We talked a little bit about yeah. um, Maya last week. We talked about mm-hmm. your um, hormonal heterosexual teenage male friends that um, became hot and bothered by Maya in her Chinese waitress hostess dress. (laughs) But fully, fully, I remember being so scandalized by the Dip It Low video because she is rolling around in black paint in the middle of like a group of people. It, It just... Yeah, but, but they're, but, but, but they're spitting her, right? To make yeah. designs. But you know, I mean, you know, it's what's weird. That dr- this... What's that brush? That the um, the, Isn't it Japanese? The sumie brush? Yeah, like a sumie <laughs> brush. Like, Isn't it like, isn't it kind of Asian inspired? Isn't that it's supposed whole video to be supposed Asian to be like... It's supposed to be like conceptual art. It's supposed to be. <laughs> we were but so to insensitive. Me, I, I don't know. I, I'd have to, I'd have to watch that video again closer. I, I, briefly watched it but I, it's, I think it still makes me uncomfortable yeah i believe, that. I, believe <laughs> I think that. because also um i feel like this is around the time that i saw requiem for a dream oh wait requiem for, the one with yeah. jennifer connelly uh, yeah, Jared yeah, Leto. Yeah, 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 but yeah, there's yeah. the ending scene yeah 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 where J- jennifer uh <laughs> jennifer connelly and... jennifer connelly has to like sell her body for you know to support her habit and there's but something about it, like yeah. this there's something about the staging of those scenes where it's like women in the center and like a group of people around the border and just writhing and stuff like that that I don't know. I I, I think in my <laughs> I mind I never would have connected the two. Oh, sorry. Don't connect them. There's no, probably, I mean I just no... 
I, I think I, just I, mentally I, I place those two things around the same point in time. Okay. I mean, that, that would be right. Right. But yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> dip it low. Okay. Pick it up slow. I'm picking it up real slow today. So she releases Dip It Low. She gets a moderate amount of success out of Dip It Low. I feel like that's actually the song that most people will know from her. Yeah. Dip It Low, hate it up slow. But the album fails to produce a second single. Well, because that's not a career. That song is not a career. I mean, (laughs) it seems obvious, but... You don't... I mean, but you, you don't think that she could have kept that going well i think here's my problem with her albums okay because i listened you know if if i need to know because i need something to defend i need something to defend here i need something to redeem tell me what her problem is all of these songs are trying so hard to be like a hit or something it's like all of them are trying to be singles I, i was going through the albums and like okay you were saying the first one christina milian uh, was disjointed, right? Because it was like pop and R&B and they didn't know what to do with her. So there's no there's no flow to the album. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like throwing everything at the wall. Like, maybe this one will be a hit. Maybe this one will be a hit. They're all produced like they're trying to potentially be a single, right? Okay. Whereas like a lot of albums, like it'll tell a story and there's like the obvious singles. And then there's like, you know, the album quote unquote filler that might have some of your best Okay. Your favorites as a fan, right? Like it, a, a lull or a change in, in speed. I even on this other, like, it's like everyone is like, it's like got a feature or it's like, it's, I don't know. It just feels like trying so hard and they're all like operating. And, and this is might be wrong just because I was skipping around because, you know, who has that kind of time? But, <laughs> but, but like, I like Dip It Low, but, like, if all the songs are, like, functioning at, like, a Dip It Low level, like, I didn't feel like there's anywhere to go. And it doesn't Uh, show, it doesn't show anything else about who she is. Does that make sense? Like, in a way that, like, it doesn't show multiple facets. It's kind of, like, different versions of the same thing to see, is this going to be another hit? That's that's a sense I get. Not, like, not necessarily an artist, but someone who's just trying to have singles. (laughs) Or like try to have oh. hits. That 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 so was the I, sense that I got from her. I I feel like there is no other single on "It's About Time." Th- no, I agree. I agree. They, but I feel released, like they're trying. They release whatever you want, featuring Joe Budden as the second single, and mm-hmm. I, I feel like this song has aged well. Okay. Like the song is better to me now than it was then, because I think it has kind of a like a seventies funk vibe to it that i was not receptive to when this came out in 2004 but i can see that what i think what i think it is and maybe this is what you were getting at and i was just misunderstanding you is that instead of an attempt to come up with like a good set of cohesive songs instead of instead of trying to think like this is the artist that i am this is what i'm going to do it's going to be like well oh this is my you know this is my club banger uh this is my this is my crazy in love this is my you know trying to cherry pick a bunch of things that could be hot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hedging your bets a little bit. Yes. And that's at the, the, sense at the consequence of being like, okay, now I don't have this album that makes sense. Now I have yeah. a group of songs that sound like I'm just trying to f- still figure out what am I doing? <laughs> you know? Well, the fact that dip it low and the song you just mentioned, um, whatever you want. I, I just, I just listened to that too. Um, while you were talking and I'm like, it's, it's maybe a good song. 
right? Like it's, it's, but it's, I think you're right. It's aged well, but how are they on the same album? Yeah. Like that, like you said, it's like a seventies funk. The other one is like a, it's a very 2004, like that sort of Missy Elliott sort of Japanese influence. Oh yeah. 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 Right. You know, it has that kind of, you know, I just feel like Fun fact. Did you know she got sued for Dip It Low? By who? In like 2008 or 2009, like four or five years after this song came out, turns out that the person that produced this song, wrote and produced this song with her, did not disclose to her that he had used a sample. Like a 12 second sample from a song from like the 80s. And apparently this was not, this was not handled by the writer producer Christina Milian says she had no idea. And then, of course, no one at her label had any idea that this was something that they needed to do. So what happened? Originally, she was sued. So she settled with the songwriters. And then so she had to countersue her producer, the right, the the writer producer that gave the track to her. And then the writer producer turned around and countersued her as well as her label. So, I mean... A big mess is what happened. So, uh, you know, exhibit exhibit 453. Even, even her biggest yeah. success, even her biggest success <laughs> ends in tragedy. It, it, it just feels like it's still, you know, like you were saying, like just trying so hard to make it work. You, you mentioned at the beginning, like maybe not trust. I don't know if that how it relates to this album specifically, but maybe not not being able to trust other people to help guide her career in a certain way or guide, you know, the progression of it. And so doing so much on her own. And I know that happens later on, but I feel like even here, it's just like still like in that, in the identity crisis of like who she is, who she's trying to be and kind of like offering up a million things yeah, to see what gets the best reception. And then maybe we'll refine it from there. But this is already 2004. This is three years after the first album. Like it's, it's a little late to be doing that. Yeah, it's a little bit late, and I I mean I don't know who's you know who's making the decisions here, but I'll say that for myself, based on like her personality in the media, like the way that she interviews, her energy, her optimism, this kind of Pollyanna attitude that she has, I think for me anyway, that's where I never really bought into this hypersexualized version of herself. Even if that's who she really is as a person, to me, the the Disney Channel bubblegum side of her was always like the truest expression of maybe not her inner identity, but definitely the package that she was presenting. It's like if Mandy Moore tried to release a fuck track. Yeah, I think that... You'd be like, what? What's happening? What's going I feel on? Like, I feel like when when artists evolve, that in most cases where it's successful, it's because we buy into that transformation. When Pink goes from being an R&B singer to a pop rock singer, we believe it because we can see that as part of her, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, actually, when Pink did that, it made a lot of sense because it, it made a lot of her her media personality makes sense. And I think it's the same thing, you know, uh, Christina Aguilera evolving into stripped, right? Like we really went along with her on that ride made me uncomfortable, but I believed that that was who Christina Aguilera is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mandy Moore went on her folksy journey, chopped off her hair, dyed it Brown. 
made a cover album featuring songs by um, Joan Armitiding. <laughs> <laughs> I used to always, uh, why did she always show up in front of my, like when I'd be at uh, Amoeba Records, Joan Armitiding, dating, whatever, was always like blocking the album I wanted. Always. And now I'm trying to think of like, who was I going for? <laughs> like who would, you know, but yeah, I was like, who is this woman? <laughs> Legend. Um, but you know, we bought into those trans, we bought into those evolutions because they seemed genuine to the person that we would see on television. And I don't think that the dip it low Christina Milian ever seemed like the same person that I would see on MTV. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Dip It Low, the uh, the album, It's About Time, they do moderately well. I don't think that they impacted as big as people thought they would. Like, Dip It Low was like Song of the Summer that year. And then that album did okay. And it did oh, just okay enough for her to move towards working on her third album, or her second US release. The uh-huh. 2006 album, So Amazing. And when she's doing so amazing, she's really starting to double down on the idea of like, I want to be an R&B artist mm-hmm. because she works um, primarily with uh, the producers Cool and Dre on the album. So amazing. At this time, she is being bumped around between Deaf Soul, Deaf Jam and Island. Like, I think the majority of her albums are actually released on Island, which is an interesting choice because mm-hmm. that's typically where like the pop acts would be released through. Yeah. So in contrast to her desire to develop an R&B fan base, I think she says at one point that like she had missed out on the opportunity to develop a core base of fans in R&B with that first album. Mm-hmm. But that in the long run, those core R&B fans would be the ones that would stay with her. Right. And so she was trying to like catch up by now after the fact, trying to solidify an R&B fan base for herself to kind of stay with her throughout her career as opposed to like, I guess a pop audience that would be a little bit more fickle. Mm -hmm. So she doubles down with this album. So amazing 2006 lead single, a song called say I excellent song also in also was in the running for a song that I wanted to redeem because this is a song that was um, co-written by Jasmine Sullivan. There is a demo of this song sung by Jasmine Sullivan somewhere in the bowels of YouTube. I will say the Jasmine Sullivan version is, is way better. Can I mean I don't I don't I don't challenge that I've not even heard it and I don't challenge that the song when you hear Jasmine Sullivan sing it you're like oh this this is a Jasmine Sullivan song because it has her flow it has her melodic type of thing that she typically does with her voice but then um, Christina Milian gets the song and she puts it on her on her third album so amazing I'd like to see just in a GIF format. A Jasmine Sullivan facial reaction <laughs> to Christina Milian singing this song. Make it happen. If we ever return to social media, we can, we can oh, add this to our social media let profiles. Me at, let me try and do that. Let me try and do that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so amazing. She is really trying for that R&B core fan base. 
2005-2006, we are running into the Rihanna times. Um, Rihanna has released her debut album in 2005 with the song Ponda Replay. Rihanna is a label mate of Christina Milian, Island Def Jam. Huh. There's a couple of different accounts of this, but reportedly the song SOS that kind of catapulted Rihanna out of that kind of fresh-faced Barbadian pop singer and kind of gave her that first stepping stone into, I think, the massive stardom that she has now. That song SOS was originally supposed to be recorded by Christina Milian. Hmm. Christina Milian passed on that song. Christina Milian passed on that song, she says, because it sounded too much like AM to PM to her. Like tonally, not literally. That just that in as much as she had been so scared off of the bubblegum pop track by that first album, mm. and in as much as she was trying to establish herself as a serious R&B songstress, the song SOS, um, you know, written and produced by J.R. Rodham, was not not going to be it for her in her mind at the time. And that's funny because I think, you know, you kind of touched on it when you mentioned Rihanna and SOS. It, it, it did help pivot her. But it wasn't. It didn't submit. It didn't seal the deal. It wasn't until she did Umbrella, I think, that people yeah. were like, "Okay." So I think if Christina Milian had done it and she didn't have like that Rihanna sort of Rihanna ness, saxophoniness, um, <laughs> human harmonica, Rihanna, that goat, that goat, goat bleedingness <laughs> that um, Rihanna imparts. Um, you know, like I don't know that it would have done anything for her. I guess in the similar way that we're speculating about, you know, would play have been as successful a song yeah, yeah. for Christina Milian as it was for Jennifer Lopez. And we, you know, like Christina, it's, it's a lot of ifs, not a Rihanna. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time. Yeah. And I thought Rihanna was going to be a one, two hit wonder or something. Totally. Like that, right? No, like one hit wonder. even including SOS. I was like, okay, this is fun, but this is it. Oh no. After when SOS came out, I was like, Oh, like she's not going to be, be the ponder replay mm-hmm. thing well i, I didn't think, think it was better ponder yeah. replay ponder replay it just um it gave me the what was that lumity song uh uh yeah uh <laughs> atonal atonal yeah, yeah, pop yeah, music yeah. ponder replay gave me those vibes and i was like ooh, like is she oh. just gonna keep trying to do this we should try and find lumity i wonder if she's an accountant somewhere I th- no i think she's still making music man what for who? Um, Spotify. Okay. <laughs> oh, we should check it out. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, so 2005, 2006, um, Christina Milian still trying to make it happen, yeah. trying to solidify her R&B fan base, which do they exist? We still don't know. Passes on SOS. She says in interviews, in an interview, she said in an interview recently that SOS was offered to her as a duet with Rihanna. Why would you do that? I don't know. According to other reports, it was originally offered to Christina Milian, and then she passed, and it went to Rihanna. Um, regardless, she didn't get her. She didn't get on that. And say I starts to climb the charts. So amazing gets released a week after the album is released. Christina Milian is terminated from Island Def Jam. I I don't like say I at all. I hate, I don't I don't there's something so like Google the Jasmine Google the Jasmine Sullivan demo of it. Okay, I will yes, I can see that, but like famously me and thin voiced singers 
Yeah, there, there's and something... her doing I I I versus Jasmine Sullivan doing yeah, I yeah, I yeah, I. Yeah. Um, but there's you more know, husk it's... to Jasmine <laughs> Sullivan. Well, there's more. There's more. Um, it's you know, you're talking about authenticity and like who a person is. Like, I believe it coming from her, and and Christina Milian, I think, still just sounds very poppy, even yeah. when doing quote unquote R and B. And I, you yeah. know, 2006. When did um, when did B Day come out? 2000 before Eight? that four oh. b-day yeah b-day i guess it was because uh, i'm thinking i'm thinking um four or five. Oh yeah uh no 2006 oh released on, on t- september 4th 2006 and you think about if you're talking about pop you're talking about r&b and you think about b-day mm-hmm. and just Deja vu. B-day, get me body. It was not very mainstream though when it came out. It wasn't. It wasn't. But it's irreplaceable. The Neo song that was probably mm-hmm. I think the most mainstream pop song of that whole set. Listen, I think everything else, everything else from this album though, Freak of Dress, Ring-, Ring the Alarm. None of that. None of that sounded very current or like of the time when this it came didn't, out. Didn't. But remember, it she ushered, released an it album. Ushered in. I think it ushered in a normalization of these songs that she was releasing. It did. And Beyonce also, did like, that. She has the power she, to do that. She came out with a, with a video for every song. Mm. Remember? And that was, that was new. And it just changed the conversation. Like it became like in terms of building your fan base and bringing them along to the sound. Yeah. That's what B-Day did. And this is coming out the same time as this, Christina Milian, so amazing. Also, so amazing. I was like, is there a cover of the Lucifer Vandross song, So Amazing, <laughs> on here? Just like on her other album, there's a song called Miss You Like Crazy. I was like, fingers crossed. I was like, maybe she covers the Natalie Cole song. <laughs> she did not. And so I was like, if you want to She's talk about going after, left and right. going after actual R&B fans. <laughs> oh, Christina Milian just... <laughs> you know setting you up and then letting you down letting me down time. yeah because i will say that like when so amazing came out i bought this album i like the lead single everything else sounds a little bit behind mm-hmm. a lot of the 2006 christina million so amazing some of it sounds like it's trying to be a shanti circa 2003 mm-hmm. solid yeah. r&b but a little bit late like to your point like the sound of R&B is moving. Mm-hmm. It's a moving target. You kind of have to be ready to, you know, be ahead of the curve. Well, you need to be work you need to be working with people who are ahead enough of the curve that it become, you know, that that by the time it comes out people are ready for it. I mean, it's yeah. the perfect timing, right? Like Yeah. Or or access access to the right people because like it's not just like if they're if those producers who, for example, were working on B-Day were available, it's not necessarily a a given that they'd be like, okay, Christina, you can work with them. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Also combined with someone who is so involved in controlling their own image and mm. the type of music that they want to make. Like, I think that that's been a through line through a lot of the stuff that she talks about is how much control she's wanted to have over everything. And... I wonder whether that had an impact on success. Like, I always wonder if, like, Rihanna 
has just had the right people guiding her to the point where, okay, we get you from this part of like Ponda Replay. We get you on SOS. We get you on Umbrella. And then that kind of sets the stage for her to then take off, you know? Whereas like when you're starting out, if you make those early missteps and then you keep making those missteps so that you're not establishing yourself solidly in people's minds, that you're fully, at this point, Christina Milian is like six years into her career. Yeah. And people still don't necessarily know what kind of music they're going to get from her. Yeah. I'm still waiting for the Kim Possible theme part two. You know, the update to call me, beat me is just like text are they me. Doing, are they doing a live action version of that? I text me, tweet were. me. Call me, tweet me, text me, tweet me. <laughs> all Um, night long so she gets dropped she gets dropped she says that like when it happened it happened really suddenly it happened the week after her album came out and she says that a lot of people a lot of people from island def jam got dropped that week Mm. and i was like who what yeah yeah i don't remember this happening it it was a massacre you know who else got i mean i could find no evidence of an actual massacre but it seems like there was probably some type of restructuring at that time because they were in the process of like getting because you know they had done like there was a while where it was really cool to have so many different labels it was like island def jam they had island they had def jam they had murder inc mariah carey had her monarch imprint yeah yeah yeah. all the different imprints and stuff and then at some point it they realized like we just need to consolidate again and everything became Island Def Jam or whatever. Yeah. Right. And yeah, you, you trim people down and Christina Milian makes reference to the fact that a lot of people were shed from the rosters for Island Def Jam. I could find no evidence of this, but I was kind of looking around. I was like, well, who, what do I know anyone else? You know who else was dropped from Island Def Jam in 2006 was Fifi Dobson. (laughs) A likely future subject of this podcast by me. Yeah. I mean, was it? No. I was, oh, God. I was saying pieces of me, but no, that's, that's, no, Ashley it's, Simpson. um, take me away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was something about skiing? I don't know. No. Everything? <laughs> don't let it go to your head? I don't know. After this escapade that she goes through with Island Def Jam, she never really gets the chance to reclaim that level of fame again i don't think Mm -hmm. she gets a deal with myspace records which is you know an effort with interscope records she releases the one great song us against the world um shortly thereafter of course no one uses myspace anymore myspace kind of fizzles from existence and then she's in limbo again Mm. she enters into a relationship with the dream after that she marries the dream she has a child with the dream at which point her musical output kind of slows. She breaks up with the dream. She announces that she's signed to Young Money. So that's like Lil Wayne, Drake, et cetera, et cetera. In 2015, it's revealed that she is dating Lil Wayne. She goes on to Big Boy and 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 he he's so disarmingly charming and talking to her. And she just off the cuff says, oh, I love him. She gives the blog, blogosphere their... Uh, their quote you know Uh and so that's the first time that she admits like that yes she is confirmed like she's with lil wayne she loves him a month later she shows up on big boy again with about 10 inches of her hair chopped off so we know what that means oh no she broke up with lil wayne that same year so she was with lil wayne probably for about a year 
they break up. If you read between the lines, it sounds like she caught him. She caught him cheating on her or like they were not on the same page about monogamy. It sounds like. I think she's so po- she has such a positive spirit and such an optimism about her that she won't bash people. She won't be negative, but she'll just be, she basically just goes on to say like, we were not on the same page about our relationship and like basically what he wanted for the relationship was not what I wanted for the relationship. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all the, like, we still love each other. We, we, we still work great together. Cause at this point she's still on young money. Well, this like seems to she happen, is, right? Like to huh? her, this seems to happen to her a lot. Yeah, I mean, because like the Nick Cannon of it all, like he cheated the Nick on Cannon, her. The dream. I mean, yeah. I don't know what I like when she and the dream broke up. I know that that was really acrimonious at first, but again, like she turns it around, and now she's like, "I love the dream. Like we're great co-parents. I love his new wife. She's a great stepmother. You know, very optimistic about all this stuff. But um, you know, she maintains this relationship." professional relationship with Lil Wayne because in the midst of being in a public relationship with Lil Wayne and then publicly ending this relationship, she still is trying to release music. Yeah. Cause there was that 2015 EP, which she ends up manning kind to of eke out an EP. Yeah. I actually kind of liked some of the stuff on that. I like the four the the fourth track on the EP. It's the song featuring Snoop Dogg. I mean, it's the poppiest track from that whole EP. So of course I like it. <laughs> Um, I like the the for you. Oh, I like, I like. I like like me. Do it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Why do we I never know. like the same things? I don't know. This is why. This is why this podcast works, or maybe it's why this <laughs> podcast doesn't work. I don't know. But she releases the EP, Young Money, break up with Lil Wayne, and then ra- like radio silence again. Now, now, just to be clear. The last actual album was 2006. So already by the time she's done this EP, it's been nine years. Correct. Yeah. And she has been, she has been reportedly working on an album, a new album since she released us against the world through MySpace records in like 2008. Hmm. So things are running a little behind for her. I don't know where she's at. She does like, she continues to make acting appearances. She was on East Los high for Hulu. Um, She recently did a Netflix rom-com called Falling in Love with two N's about a woman who wins um, a New Zealand bed and breakfast in like a sweepstakes. Oh, I watched that movie. Oh, you did? I forgot. Should I we, made should, Adam should, watch should, it with can, me. Can we, can, we, can we redeem that movie? I, I thought it was fun. Okay. I thought I it was know. cute. I, I, I had never heard of it until I was doing research for today's episode. So I was what like, did oh, it, she was... What? But but you know what? There's a Hallmark there's a Hallmark Christmas movie also about a woman that runs an inn. Well, she like so like if I remember correctly, it's like she like they'll pay because like some terrible things that happened in her life, and so she tries to run away from it all because she sees an ad that like if you write this thing, we'll give it to you. But you you know the condition is that you have to come here, you have to fix it, and you have to like run it like this this inn in New Zealand and um, that's more of the premise than I know I, I mean yeah it's in she, New Zealand so it's in she, New Zealand so, she's like a stressed out San Francisco businesswoman yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. which is so fun I mean like <laughs> like businesswoman and she, she falls and she falls in love with a very tall man well so her contractor who's like helping her you know it's one of those things where like immediately they don't get along but like okay but like it's it's like 
well, of course they're going to follow me, you know, <laughs> obviously. But like, you know, I think at some point there's like a bird gets into the house and it's both scary and, uh, you know, portentous. I don't know. Is it? It sounds dumb movie? like it sounds a little bit like Under the Tuscan Sun, starring yeah, Diane Lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 of that. It yes, but not as good. Obviously, okay. Like well, it's it's nowhere near that level of quality. I feel like with the with that like rom com type of movie because Under the Tuscan Sun, I wouldn't consider like a rom com because they no. really don't bring her love life in until the very end. Yeah. Well, but that's like with more a rom com, like a... the pro- the whole premise needs to be about like how do we set up these two people in opposition to each other, only yeah. to give them a happily ever after by the very end. Yeah, so you yeah. you kind of go into those knowing, but like, also okay, like, but also like a a crazy sort of like conflict ten minutes before the very end. Okay, you know where it has the to thing be that could end it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's it was totally fine. Like if you're doing stuff around the house, okay, you know, or you're working, like it's fine. Yeah. She's um, she's yeah. she's charming in it. I will say. Okay, she's so nice. She's so yeah. nice. Yeah. And so she's been doing that. She had a reality television on E, uh, television series on E for two seasons called Christina Milian Turned Up, which featured her two her oh. her two sisters and her mother. Oh oh oh, that <laughs> reminds me that on that you know because you said Turned Up, there is a song on her. Uh, I don't know if it's do it. Oh no, it's we ain't worried. Maybe, um, where she she says because I guess I didn't think that like with Christina she goes by Tina sometime or like Tina turned up, and so she makes a reference to Tina Turner like we're oh, yeah, bringing yeah, yeah, it yeah. like that. And I was like, I fully stopped what I was doing and I said to my phone, I was like, No, <laughs> you are not invoking. Tina Turner without whisper voice of yours. <laughs> I was like, no. She did She did also do that on the Wendy Williams show. Yeah, it's like hashtag Tina turned up or something like that. And, yeah. and I'm like, no one thinks of you as Tina. Girl, there's no. one Tina. And it's not Tina Million. <laughs> you know, when she was on the Disney Channel, she went by the name Tina Milan. That's so. I mean, I get it. I get it. I mean, her her birth, her given birth name is Christine Flores. Where did Milian come from? Milian is her mother's maiden name, okay. and she felt like it would that would be a better name to try and pursue a career in entertainment with. Yeah, I can see that. I just I think I think that there is a thing with her, and I think it's something that like is commonly experienced by like like Afro Latino mm. celebrities, mm-hmm. where the perception of like, well, you're a black person, but you have a Spanish last name. What are you? That, that like that, that people want to like avoid that confusion in the entertainment industry. Uh, I would think that that's something that's changing now. I think so. I think you know? so. We're much more accepting of, uh, or the, 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 uh, yeah, I think much more. The Martin of, like, Sheen diverse. of it all. <laughs> that's right. Oh my God. Our first Latino president. Yeah. Well, also, um, you know, James Roday from Psych. Yeah. Like, he recently just reverted back to using his birth name. Well, he combined his stage name with his birth name, so now he's James Roday Rodriguez. Because he, he was doing it all for the Martin Sheen of it all. Huh. Well, I'm sorry I, I took you off your course here. Oh, no. Oh, but... oh God. We should wrap this up. But what was I going to say? 
I don't know. Oh, well, let's flash forward. I mean, you know, she still hasn't released a full-length album since 2006. I I, I wish she would. Maybe I she'll like do her. something with her new man. Oh, yeah. So she's with M. Pecora. Um, I'll mention M. Pecora here because I'll just put a song on our Spotify playlist because he's this... He's a, like, real hot French dude. I was going to say. You got to mention it. M. Pecora. I remember he did he did an English-language album in 2008 with Timbaland. Well, imagine being attracted to both Lil Wayne and M. Pecora. I think... I mean, don't quote me on this, but I think that she's very much into, like, talented men. Yeah. Okay. I see that. I think that's a, that's what bridged the gap for her between like the dream and Lil Wayne is that she talks she talks a lot about how hardworking they were. E- explain Nick Cannon in the canon. Then she was just young. <laughs> I mean, I guess he is hardworking. Yeah, he's on everything. Well, well, um, oh God, what was she saying? I was watching this interview with her, and she was talking about all the guys that she had been with before she was with Empacora, who, by the way, is a big French pop star. So hardworking on that yeah and he's he's prolific like he's been he's been a big french star since like the 2000s right they have a son right they have a son now born in january of 2020 but in the interim but after she was with lil wayne but before she was with empacore she was dating this like um i think he's a basketball star Mm. but she was on the real because she's good friends with like i think she's really good friends with like adrian bailon and Jeannie mai from the real like in real life and she was talking about, like, at the time when she was dating that basketball player, what she said that, like, she never responds to anyone sliding into their DMs. But, like, what she responded to, what she found so attractive was the level of respect <laughs> that he put into his DM. That He basically said, like, you know, I wanted to talk to you because you look like this, you seem like this very joyous and happy person. And it was basically like, I, you know, like, I know that you're the mother of a young child, so I don't want to take up, you know, too much of your time, but this, that, and the other. And the fact that it was that, because between, yeah, between all the people that she's been with, it's like, okay, what's the connective tissue? Like, what Mm -hmm. are you vibing with and with all these people? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, interesting. Now she's with a friend. I mean, I, I like her. I don't like her music, but I like her. Well, if you like her, you can now go to her food truck in Studio City. Oh. The beignet food truck. Oh. I want, I want beignets. <laughs> because oh, no. now, yeah. because now she has uh, turned to, uh, she has a beignet food truck. I think, no, maybe it's Cal... Oh, no, is it Calabasas? Oh, it's probably like I Calabasas. Thought say, I thought you were going to say Calzones, and I was like, those are very <laughs> different. <laughs> Definitely beignets, because her business partner is from, like, New Orleans. Okay. And, um, there's, yeah, she has two beignet food trucks in L.A. She has, like, a high-end jewelry line, and um, within a month of recording this, she has started her, like, lifestyle YouTube channel, where you can watch her do her morning skincare routine which fully starts out, I believe, with her completely wearing makeup. But she might have just, like, awesome, flawless skin. She got those franks. Franks. No, you know what it is? I was watching her morning skincare routine video, and her face looked very radiant, beautiful, and fresh, and, like, without makeup. Her chest looked like it had makeup on it. She was wearing, like, a tank top. And I was like, Uh, did you prep, like, this part of your... Her decolletage. Yeah. Um... Oh my god! It took me so long to talk about nothing. So the song, so the is song that we should listen to, 
when you look hold at on, me. I need to look up the title because all these Christina Milian song titles. It's are so when you generic. look at me, isn't it? When you look at me, it's when you look at me. Yes, the song that you should check out by Christina Milian is "When You Look at Me" because this song was largely lost to the ages. This song, actually, I forgot to mention this. This album only became available for streaming in the United States this year. That for a long time, AM to PM was not even available in the United States, even though that had been released as a single. And if you look up Christina Milian, her most recent album, yes, what it says was released in 2020 on Spotify, yeah. I should say, is this album. Um, yeah. But, but you know, if if by chance you put in When You Look At Me into your search bar and you accidentally click on Celine Dion's When You Look At Me. <laughs> you just want me to add it to the Spotify playlist. <laughs> you will also realize that it's <laughs> it's literally just lyrics that were added to a because James Horner did it, and James Horner did the soundtrack for many things, including Titanic. I was listening to a t- to a soundtrack like playlist because for while I was working because I just needed something to like zone out to. And do you remember the movie Bicentennial Man with uh, Robin Williams? He plays like a robot or something. I don't know. It's a dumb. I movie. I, I, I vaguely remember yeah, the yeah. song from like I, forever ago. It's 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 an instrumental as part of that, and then they like put lyrics to it. We're like, here's Celine, sing this, and like. None of it makes sense because it's a stupid song. But that's the only when you look at me that I know. And now I will make room in my heart for Christina Millian's. I don't see a song by Celine Dion called When You Look At Me. <laughs> is it when not? I Need You? No. Oh, you know what it is? When I Fall In Love. <laughs> then it's Then You Look At Me. <laughs> Then oh, <laughs> my bad. All right, my well, bad. I'll still I'll still add it to the playlist for this week, <laughs> just because you mentioned it. And you know okay. what? Anything we mentioned today, I, I I should I should I shouldn't say that now though, because that there's that's whole not true. <laughs> but uh, you know, because <laughs> oh, because I don't say that, but like we've been we've been making playlists for we all of the episodes. Um, God, I didn't do Christina Milian any justice. I think you did. I think I think that you know you'll generate a few pennies for her, pennies in the yeah. well. You know, and she's happy. She's happy. And, she uh, looks like she's doing really well. I mean, although me... to her, to be fair, she would. That's kind of her brand. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Nothing. She's she has no regrets in life. I, I don't know about that. Well, she will express no regrets in life. I was going to say. <laughs> Her Wikipedia page is kind of a list of regrets. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I mean... Re- <laughs> did we talk... Wait, did we talk about... I forget. Did we talk about that off the air, the whole Nivea thing? No. No, we, we talked about it in the actual intro, huh? Yeah. <laughs> we talked about okay. a lot about Christina Bell. <laughs> More than like she has content to to to. to. No, I guess you know that's I not was uh, apropos of nothing. I forgot that Christina Milian's best friend is Karuchi Tran. Oh, hmm. yeah. Karuchi I'll leave you with that thought, just to think about them being together. Well, while you're thinking about it, we'd like to give our special thanks. Yes, to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. 
Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter, and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. And as always, email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com with anything. Yeah, do it, you know. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.